Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. In association with Viatel Technology Group, IT leaders breathe easy with Viatel Managed Cybersecurity. Viatel.com. This is News Talk. Welcome along to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, Bobby Healy of Manadrones will join me to talk about the company's continuous expansion and changing the game when it comes to food delivery. Carl Henry will talk through the key metrics for measuring your health with a wearable. And as ever, I'll answer your tech questions. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by emailing techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Instagram at jesskellynt. But we're going to start with Bobby Healy of Mana Drones. Bobby, how are you? I'm very good, Jess. How are you? I'm great. I always get excited talking to you because you are, and I mean this in the nicest way possible, but you are kind of the mad scientist type tech entrepreneur that I love talking to because your vision and drive kind of just, it gets me a little bit buzzed for what's going on in the tech world. Um, As we've spoken about a million times uh, on this show with you, Mana Drones is continuing to go from strength to strength. Can you just bring us up to speed with what's happened over the last few months since we've spoken to you? Sure. Um, last few months, we uh, got our European-wide BV loss license, which means we can fly any number of aircraft per operator. So full beyond visual line of sight, which technically um, is a big deal. We're the only ones in the world to have anything like that. Um, and And then... As probably everyone's aware, we launched in Blanchardstown, um, D15, actually, more appropriately. And we're flying about a four-kilometer radius from uh, Blanchardstown Shopping Centre, which means we can reach about 150,000 residents, 43,000 air codes. And that is the world's largest uh, location of drone delivery now. Like, it's incredible how what seemed like a mad vision. I remember talking to you on a casino floor in Las Vegas a few years ago about this notion and he- hearing the vision. And I was kind of nodding along going, yeah, Bobby, sure, I'll talk to you in 20 years when this gets going. It, like, what was the thing, what was the key to unlocking the potential of MANA and making this go from an idea on a post-it note to the reality? I mean, the biggest differentiator, like we have a good tech team, we've raised, you know, a ton of venture capital and, you know, a really strong team in man. There's 120 of us now, but the big difference in perspective, right, Ireland now is the most important place in the world for drone delivery to back gardens. And it's largely because Europe has a great solid set of regulations, which usually is not what you want, but in, in our case, regulations are exactly what you need. Regulations to govern safety, both air and ground safety, governance of the airlines, you know, processes, all that stuff. So Europe has played a blinder there. It's ahead of the rest of the world. And then within Europe, uh, the IAA and the Irish Aviation Authority that regulated us in Ireland have been a partner in this and have made it, I won't say easy, in fact, quite the opposite. They've made it really hard <laughs> to get regulated, but They've been a willing partner that's invested on their side to make it happen. And as as we speak today, Ireland is the best place in the world to launch a drone delivery program. And it's because of strong government policy flowing into strong regulation of the airspace. Yeah, tech entrepreneurs, I'm sure you have kind of a love-hate relationship with regulation. But as you just explained there now, it's actually a good thing because it, it kind of stops people bitching and moaning going, oh, it, it's unregulated or they're doing what they want. What are the considerations that you guys need to take into account when it comes to this 
deliveries, like the last mile delivery. So for example, if I'm in Dublin 15 and I want to get a burrito or whatever it is, what are all the hoops that you guys have to jump through to, to enable me to get my food that little bit quicker? Yeah, I mean, so we're, we're licensed. It's called an LUC. We're essentially a licensed airline. Um, and our operation, everything we do, the way we do it, every interaction with the general public and, and our staff and the aircraft is all in document and approved by the regulator. So we have to do it a specific way that we've agreed with the regulator. And so uh, there's no question mark. If, if any member of the general public wants to know how we operate, well, we're governed or, or regulated, should I say, by the IAA, and they can either ask us or the IAA. And the laws that we operate under are actually EU-wide laws. So it's all very clear and the population we fly over can feel very safe that we're flying a safe operation with no compromise on safety, neither in the air for general aviation. If you're flying into Dublin Airport, you know there's no risk of our drones going anywhere near there. And similarly, if you're living in D15 and you want to know what's going on, um, all the rules and all of our permissions are very clearly documented. So I think it's transparent uh, I would say it's, I won't say next level tough, but it's very, very tough uh, to get regulated in this space. And, you know, most people do, are, don't realize this, but the our, the IAA, our aviation authority, is one of the most industrial ones in Europe because 90% of transatlantic flights fly through our airspace. So you have a very industrial scale. And I would say, you know, obviously all eyes on safety, but also very commercially expedient regulator that's enabled the industry and you're going to see a ton of drone technology companies coming to Ireland I would say as a result of that. And that all sounds great in terms of the delivery of service uh, as well as the opportunity that comes from this type of technology but uh, one of the concerns that often gets raised is like you just meant, alluded to it there, just how precious our airspace is. So what what's the boundaries or what are the parameters to ensure that there, is, there isn't sort of a mid-air drone clash or crash or whatever might potentially dreadfully happen? Yeah. I mean, that, that's actually a surprisingly easy part of what we do. Um, like allocating the airspace between us and, for example, Google have a drone delivery project called Wing. They're flying in Terenure. They were flying in Lusk right beside us in Balbriggan as well. And both our companies have joined up our airspace management systems so that if, before we take off, we let them know. We tell them the airspace we're going to use. We allocate it and off we go. Completely safe, deterministic, no risk at all, and actually not difficult to do. And similarly for traditional aviation, like your ambulance helicopter, police helicopter, general aviation, we use ADSB, which is where those uh, traditional aircraft have transponders. Our aircraft and our system see those transponders. So we know if they're going to do an incursion into our air- airspace and we don't take off. And that's that's the simple version. And an even simpler version is we don't fly over 100 metres and they don't fly below uh, four or 500 metres. And so it's very easy to do vertical separation between us and them. Uh, so that's actually one of the easier problems to solve, I think. Okay, well, well, and I think it's nice to hear that it's an easy problem to solve because on a superficial level, not even a superficial level, but I guess people's understanding of drone technology and the airspace navigation and all the rest is probably coloured a little bit by the instances where Dublin Airport has had to shut because some person is flying a drone nearby. From your point of view, 
how are you balancing the messaging that, you know, we're not the messers who are going to disrupt, you know, 100 flights at Dublin Airport or Cork Airport or wherever it might be. This is actually a practical solution that's benefiting the people of this country. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the word drone is a bad word, mostly um, because of Gatwick Airport, Dublin Airport and some handful of very irresponsible users that, that know full well what they're doing and intentionally doing it. Um, are causing huge disruption and and just a, a negative cloud around anything that has the word drone in it. But I, I think it's fair to say that any good commercial operator like MANA and any of the other great drone companies that are in Ireland, you know, we obey the rules. We have licenses from the IAA and we don't, you know, do anything other than obey the rules within those licenses. So you're never going to find an aircraft from MANA doing an incursion into an area that it doesn't have approval to fly into. And there's no way in hell that anyone should be flying within several kilometers of an active airport. It's just it's just an absolute no-go zone. And so uh, part of our process is educating the local community and working with the IAA to get clear communications about the rules of the road or the rules of the air in our case and how to think about companies like us. And the, the general public should feel very, very confident, very safe uh, about commercial operators like us, not just us, but, you know, Google, Amazon and all those wedding photographers, all those RTE filmers, the news talk guys with drones, everyone that uses drones for professional use obeys the rules and they're very clear and not difficult to follow. Yeah, I think that's such an important point. Like the people who are using this as part of their jobs or, you know, as their entire company in your case, we obviously don't want to get slaps on the wrist for breaking the rules at all. It's in our interest to do it responsibly and so on. Um, another question that crops up, and again, I'm putting them to you just to myth bust a little bit. The concerns around cameras in the drones and, you know, if I am in D15 and you're bringing me my food with a drone, in terms of my privacy and cameras and all that jazz, can you just explain how that works? Yeah, um, and that's that's the that is the top question we get about privacy and recording all that stuff. So the way it works is there's a lidar on the camera on the drone and a camera. The lidar is used for altitude detection and for checking that the ground is flat and inanimate. And then when we arrive over your house to deliver, we descend to 15 meters before we deliver. And right before we approve the delivery, we show our operator an image of what's underneath because we won't deliver to a, an area where there's a person there. So we we require for our customers not to be underneath the aircraft when we deliver or even within four meters of the aircraft. And so one of our operators will check that still, validate it and then approve the delivery. And that's a safety mechanism purely. Nothing leaves the aircraft. Nobody can log into that system and none of that data can get off the aircraft. So it, it couldn't be more private. Okay, well, that is an important one. Um, tell me a little bit about the drones that you guys use, because we, we've spoken about this before. Um, like, this isn't a drone that you could buy in Harvey Norm that you guys are using. No, I wish you could. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have to you have to build it from the ground up. So it's a very very specific drone. It's very large. It's one point eight meters motor to motor. So I think large flying golden retriever with propellers. Um, but it's got all these safety mechanisms on it. So it's got three flight computers, three GPS units, like multiple antennas, uh, failover battery system, power system, eight motors when you only need four. All sorts of redundancy, which wouldn't make any sense for a drone that you'd buy in Harvey Normans because there's no world where you'd be allowed to fly that drone over a populated area. It's just too unsafe. 
So there is no commercially available aircraft that we could use. And therefore, it's a, you know it's a requirement to really build your own and prove to the aviation regulator that it's safe. And we've done 170,000 flights with our aircraft. One of our aircraft alone has done 20,000 flights. You wouldn't do more than 100 flights with that drone you'll buy in Harvey Norman before it'll fall apart. Yeah. And talk to me about the drone operators then or or how the drone operates. How much human, not only supervision, but interaction is required on both ends? So from the MANA point of view and then the end customer point of view? Yeah, so we have two types of people that work for us in operations. One of them is called a loader and you could compare them to the existing, say, delivery driver and they just take the cargo from the vendor, the restaurant, Boojum, let's say, and they load it onto the aircraft. That's their job. They weigh it, they tag it, and they load it, and they step back. And then the other person is what we call a dispatcher. And the dispatcher is is sitting in a dark room with connectivity. They can see all of the airspace that they're managing. And that dispatcher can manage up to 20 aircraft at a time. And their role is basically making sure the airspace is clear. If the ambulance helicopter or police helicopter, any type of emergency happens, they will respond to that and ground our aircraft or make them return to base immediately. And other than that, they're they're simply an observer job where they're monitoring things. There's no way to fly the aircraft, to control the aircraft in any way remotely. It's all done on the edge. And you have to do that in aviation. It has to be all deterministic. It has to be everything you do has to be 100 percent reliable. So you can't rely on communications, either radio comms or cell comms, any of those to control the aircraft. The aircraft has to be able to make its own decisions, fly on its own. And and whatever happens, that it can make decisions to make sure that the safety element is there. So um, it's a very human light operation so there's no way a human mistake could cause a safety incident and then where we scale up in terms of people will be those people that load the aircraft so there's definitely going to be a transition of people that work for delivery companies going on motorbikes or electric bikes or cars or whatever uh, going to work for drone companies instead they'll be much more efficient um, but they'll have nicer warmer less rainy jobs yeah, and we know that safety is a huge issue for people. Like we, we've had so many instances, very tragic instances of um, whether it's attacks or accidents and so on. So in a way, getting people off the roads is a good thing and it makes pure sense. In terms of the scalability of this, like what's the mission and what's the, I suppose, roadmap for making that mission a reality? Yeah, so... Um... It's a good point about taking cars off the road. Um, the green part of this, so, so we, we describe ourselves as we're quieter, greener, cheaper, faster and safer than any other way to move products around. And we've already flown 3000 kilometers in Blanchardstown and the equivalent journeys by cars would have been about eight to 9000 kilometers. So that's eight or 9000 kilometers we've already taken off the roads of Blanchardstown in just over a week. And um, so if you expand that, the, the food delivery industry today does 5.2 billion deliveries a year across the world, top five aggregators, and it's growing at 15%. Our, our mission is, look, we produce zero CO2 when we fly. Our end-to-end carbon footprint is less than an electric bicycle doing the same journey. So if we can knock any percentage of those 5 billion road-based deliveries off the road, that's a pretty good result. 
And from a mana point of view, like, are, is that something that you're ready, willing and eager to do? Like, is it scalable at the drop of a hat from your point of view or is it came or came? I wish um, this is as hard a business as you could imagine to scale because we have to manufacture robots. We have to deploy them and we have to operate them. Um, so there's no, we, we're not going to be licensing the technology to anyone else. So think of us as, you know, an aircraft manufacturer, an airline, an airport and the reta- retailers within the airport. So for us to scale in, in numbers, Ireland needs about, we think about five 5,000 aircraft for full production for really to be operating the whole country. UK needs about 55,000 aircraft. The United States need about 600,000 aircraft. So the numbers are, are mind boggling. And, and just for the UK market, for 10% of the UK market, we would need to invest about $500 million just to power that. So it's not just that's going to take a long time or that it's hard, but it's going to take a huge amount of capital as well. And the nice thing is, though, is that it's already profitable. So every flight we do is it costs us less to operate than the revenue we get from that flight. So the fundamentals of the business or the unit economics are solid. And so it's not like, uh, you know, ride hailing, you know, taxi hailing where they lose money in a lot of orders or, or even existing food delivery that loses a lot of money for a lot of orders. We're already at a point where we can make money if we did scale this business. So good fundamentals, which means it's a very investable business. Mm. Um, I need to ask you before I let you go about AI because it's the only thing people are talking about in the world of tech for the last, I don't know, 18 months or so. I haven't heard of it. <laughs> Trust me, Bobby. This is a good tip for you now. Um, but, <laughs> but I just wonder, like when you look at AI and you look at some of the conversations that are going on, aside from MANA, but just when you look at the tech landscape, like AI has been around for a long time, right? Do you buy into yeah. this hype? Or are you a little bit of a cynic like me going, keep calm and carry on and let's just feel our way through it before we put our life savings on it? I hate to tell you this, but I'm very excited about it. Um, oh, Bobby. It, it, it doesn't impact our business because AI is, you know, prob- probabilistic models, you know, non-predictable stuff doesn't work very well when you're talking about safety. Um, so it's not really useful for us, but i give you an example. Last night, I was writing some code, some security code, right, that connects to our cameras that we have at the base. And those cameras look at the takeoff pads and landing pads for the drones. And that code now that I wrote took me about two hours, uh, detects people going towards the pads and stops the aircraft taking off if they're going near the pads, right? That would have taken me a month to write in the good old days. I I wrote it in one night with ChatGPT and it worked, you know, so... The, the, the answer for companies like us and most other companies is these technologies are going to make your employees, you, everyone around you, much more productive if they embrace them. Programmers, engineers, marketing people, copywriters, you name it, they should be able to produce five to ten times as much. So that's exciting because it means the world's going to get a lot more. It's going to go a lot quicker in building whatever solutions we need built. Okay, let's just flesh this out briefly then, right? So if that's the case and and people can produce more, is it going to make us dumber or is it going to make the skills that we have more valuable and we're just going to get more from those skills that we as human beings have? Well, um, it's gonna it's gonna change it's gonna change the way. So we're gonna the programming is example because that's my thing, right? I'm a programmer, and programmers always 
think that they're gods, right? We all think we're the best programmer we've ever met. And it's, but actually it's just a trade. It's logic. It's, it's sequences, steps and being able to remember them and creating large Lego buildings out of small Lego blocks. That's programming. And so it's not a good use of a human brain to, to sit down at a desk just writing and debugging code all the time when a robot can do it, well, not always perfectly, but nearly always perfectly. So that programmer now becomes, instead of a programmer, they become an architect or you know an engineer that's thinking about what problems to solve and in what order and how to tie all things together and orchestrate lots of components rather than writing individual lines of code and debugging them. That, that guy is worth 10 times. So in other words, they're doing 10 times as much. I'm way, way, way more valuable. And if I look at my marketing team that I have in MANA or I look at my finance team, anyone that's writing an email or writing web copy, there's no way you can compete with GPT or any of the LLM models. There's no way you can compete with them in speed or quality of output. So why, why, why even think about it? So I put it this way. If I was building another business now and, and it wasn't MANA, I would be requiring everyone to show me how they're embracing this technology to go faster and better. Okay, so if you're a college graduate or if you're about to graduate now, uh, would you say as an employer, you know, like get au fait with this because it is the future and you need to know, it's not enough to ask it random facts or whatever. You need to know that it's a creative tool and it's there to, I suppose, augment your brain. Hmm. It's fundamental. Um it's you need to rethink how you approach everything now. I mean, and I'm not overstating this. This is these things are not as smart as the brain because they're very limited in certain ways. But anyone that's leaving college now in engineering or or whatever they're in, if they're not thinking, if they're not learning about these tools and they're not actively thinking how they can do more because of this thing, they're not thinking the right way. And, you know, my my skill set is the easiest one, right? Because <clears throat> programming is the one that's the most obvious to, to rewrite. But there's other ways to think. You can literally ask these bots for ideas on various things. You can, you know, I mean, it can it can be a council for you that has the best advice you could imagine because it's read every single book in every single language that was ever written. And it's real. It's not a, it is in no way, uh, I mean, you're, you're right to be a cynic in certain ways, right? Because certain things is people are over applying AI, right? When they don't understand what AI is. But when you do understand what the core technology is capable of, then you can see, okay, where can you apply this? And the answer is nearly everywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, you've you've kind of changed my mind. You've done exactly what I said you do at the start, which is trigger something in my brain. I need to go away and process it for three to five business days or ask ChatGPT what I feel about it. Um, yeah. Well, look, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I really do appreciate your time. Best of luck, and sure, I'll chat to you soon. A pleasure, Jess. Thank you.